Hello folks, and welcome to episode number two of the World Beyond the West podcast. This audio log takes us to the Horn of Africa, where a brutal conflict in the northern Ethiopian region of Tigray has plunged millions into misery. The Tigray War was recently described by the White House as one of the worst humanitarian crises in the world, but you'd have likely had to go out of your way to know much about it. Since war broke out in November 2020 between Ethiopia's government and forces from the northern Tigray region, hundreds of thousands are believed to have died, many of them civilians, subjected to savage treatment by troops on both sides. Many more have been displaced from their homes and pushed to the brink of starvation after the Ethiopian government implemented a blockade on the region, preventing any aid from reaching the desperate. The reason I'm being vague with the numbers here is because nobody really knows, since journalists and aid workers were banned from visiting the region by the Ethiopian government. That's generally never a good sign. On November the 2nd, the eve of the war's second anniversary, both parties signed a truce, agreeing to bring about the immediate cessation of hostilities following extended peace talks mediated by the African Union. This will allow sorely needed aid to enter Tigray, and should provide the foundation on which the people of Tigray and beyond can begin to rebuild their lives. But, as you're about to find out, there are plenty of reasons to doubt that the newly found peace is going to last. This explainer will give you an essential breakdown of the conflict and how it came to be, cover the key terms of the newly signed peace deal, and examine the factors that could put it in jeopardy. I hope you enjoy. The first question is how and why did the Ethiopia-Tigray conflict begin? The war between the Ethiopian federal government and people in the Tigray region stems from grievances dating back to the 90s. Back in 1991, the Tigray People's Liberation Front, an ethno-political group from Tigray known as the TPLF, was instrumental in helping to overthrow the Derg, a ruthless Marxist military dictatorship in power since the 70s which killed tens of thousands of its own people. Having ousted their communist overlords, the TPLF subsequently formed a coalition government called the Ethiopian People's Revolutionary Democratic Front, bit of a mouthful so let's call it the EPRDF, made up of four political parties which represented different ethnic groups in Ethiopia. This system was initially praised for its attempts to share power, but critics said the decision to formally split the country into several ethnic regions only led to greater division particularly because the TPLF largely dominated the government despite only representing a small part of the population. The coalition lost power at the national level in 2018 amid a wave of protests and Abi Ahmed, the chairman of the EPRDF, was elected prime minister. Ahmed wanted to do away with a political system that split parties by ethnicity, and in 2019 dismantled the coalition by attempting to unite all four parties into one collective, called the Prosperity Party. Three joined, but the TPLF refused, deciding instead to try and rebuild its popularity at the August 2020 elections. Ahmed, however, postponed the elections, citing coronavirus. This enraged the TPLF even more, and they decided to hold their own regional elections anyway, which the Prime Minister subsequently dismissed. Tensions continued to mount until November 3, 2020, when TPLF forces attacked the Ethiopian military's bases in Tigray. This gave Ahmed the grounds he needed to declare war. So, what are the defining factors of the conflict? 
Well, there are two major defining factors, the first being the extent of the civilian suffering. As UN Secretary-General Antonio Guterres once said, civilians always pay the highest cost of war. There are very few conflicts in recent memory where that statement is more fitting than in Tigray. As mentioned earlier, no one knows exactly how many people have died since the war began in late 2020, but several estimates have put the civilian death toll somewhere between 385,000 to a whopping 600,000 people. Of those, around half are thought to have died from starvation, and another third from the absence of even rudimentary healthcare, because the Ethiopian government implemented a de facto blockade on Tigray. The internet was shut off, banks were closed down, and trading with the region was all but cut off, condemning huge numbers of Tigrayans to a slow, painful death from famine or disease. Tens of thousands more who did not succumb to this hellish fate were instead slain by hot lead or steel, but not before being forced to watch the rape and murder of their children, wives and family members. You may be surprised then to learn that in 2019, Ethiopian Prime Minister Ahmed was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize for his leading role in ending a 20-year hostile stalemate between his nation and neighbouring Eritrea the year before. War is the epitome of hell for all involved, Ahmed said in his Nobel acceptance speech. We want the Horn of Africa to become the Horn of Plenty for the rest of the continent, he added. At the time, there was much hope that Ahmed could go on to provide stability and develop peaceful relations throughout the Horn of Africa. But less than 18 months after receiving the coveted prize, he instead opted to systematically starve hundreds of thousands of his countrymen and enforced a media blackout in an attempt to prevent journalists from reporting on the result of his actions. Ready for the real kicker? Nobel Committee regulations do not allow for a former recipient to be stripped of their award. So, despite being responsible for engineering a deadly famine, Ahmed will remain a Nobel Peace Laureate. The second defining factor of the conflict is the role played by Eritrea. Now, the significance of Ethiopia's successful peace negotiation with Eritrea in 2018 extends far beyond Ahmed's now questionable peace prize. The decades-long icy stalemate between the two countries arose from a border war in 1998-2000, when Ethiopian forces, at the time commanded by the TPLF, remember, fought with Eritrean soldiers over disputed territories along the border between Eritrea and Tigray. Though the armed conflict ceased in 2000, Eritrea and Ethiopia harboured mutual hostilities until Ahmed and Eritrean President Isaias Afwerki resolved their differences in 2018. But Afwerki reserved a particular hatred for the TPLF, so when Ahmed ordered Ethiopian troops into Tigray in November 2020, the Eritrean leader seized his opportunity to exact his revenge. Thousands of Eritrean troops are reported to have taken part in the Tigray war on the side of Ahmed's government, forcing the TPLF to fight a war on several fronts, against Ethiopian government forces to the south and Eritrean forces to the north and northeast. Both sets of forces have even been bolstered by militias from Amhara, a region of Ethiopia neighbouring Tigray which has fought on the side of the Ethiopian government. Ahmed for months denied that Eritrean fighters had been allowed across the border to fight the TPLF until March 2021, when mounting evidence forced him to admit their presence on Ethiopian soil. Now, although all parties involved in the conflict have been accused of committing war crimes, the Eritrean military is believed to have carried out some of the most grievous offences on defenceless civilians, 
with some world powers including the United States claiming their ruthless slaughter of unarmed Tigrayan civilians amounts to ethnic cleansing. Meanwhile, Human Rights Watch and UN-backed investigators have claimed Eritrean forces conducted a campaign of sexual slavery in Tigray, committing untold numbers of violent rapes, mutilating the sexual organs of women and girls, and rounding them up to be abused before they are killed. So how did the peace deal come about given such brutality? Though the Ethiopian government and the TPLF both agreed to permanently silence the guns and chart a new path towards peace on November the 2nd, the parties were hardly negotiating from equal footing. Hours before the truce was announced on the eve of the war's second anniversary, Ahmed declared his defence forces were completing the war in the north with victory, with Ethiopian and Eritrean soldiers having captured a slew of key towns in Tigray since a temporary ceasefire fell through in August. After almost two years of fighting multiple foes and being slowly ground down by the blockade, the TPLF were on the brink of total military collapse. Though its leaders claim they want peace, the reality is the TPLF found itself caught between a rock and a hard place. The combined might of its enemies, Tigray's geographically disadvantageous position, and rapidly dwindling resources meant fighting on would only subject Tigrayans to yet more torture and likely result in the total destruction of the TPLF, not to mention much of Tigray's infrastructure. An outright surrender, meanwhile, essentially puts Tigray at the mercy of Ethiopian and Eritrean forces, hardly a tantalising prospect, and leaves what few hardline TPLF supporters remain completely disillusioned with their leaders. Striking a peace deal, particularly one mediated by the African Union and internationally recognised, at least allows the TPLF to ensure the citizens of Tigray finally get access to the aid they so desperately require, while giving its leaders some hope they will not be eradicated and could potentially go on to negotiate more favourable terms down the line. But, as we are about to discuss, that prospect remains very slim. This brings me to the final question. What could destabilise the peace deal? Well, firstly, the terms of the deal are heavily weighted in favour of the federal government. According to the conditions of the ceasefire, the TPLF is expected to completely disarm within one month and allow Ethiopia's forces into Tigray's regional capital, Mekele, unchallenged. It must also hand over control of transport and infrastructure to the government and agree that Tigray will be overseen by a government-installed interim administration until elections can take place at an unspecified date. In return for what is essentially a surrender and agreement to the government's terms, the blockade of Tigray will be lifted, and the government will begin to organise the return of displaced people. But as we touched on earlier, the TPLF was essentially forced to accept the deal due to their rapid military collapse. The horrendous treatment of civilians in Tigray at the hands of Ethiopian and Eritrean forces, plus the government's decision to prevent aid from reaching civilians, mean that any surviving elements of the TPLF are certain to harbour plenty of ill will towards the federal government. Alan Boswell, the Horn of Africa director at the NGO International Crisis Group, warned that there could even be a spillover of tensions within Tigray itself between the leaders of the TPLF and enraged factions who see the decision to accept a highly unfavourable peace agreement as nothing more than capitulation. These factors alone render the peace agreement hopeful at best, but secondly, Eritrea remains completely absent from the peace agreement, despite its forces having played a pivotal role in the conflict as an ally of Ethiopia's military and the ruthless slaughterer of civilians. The agreement does say that Ethiopia's army will guard borders to prevent foreign incursion, 
but makes no direct reference to Eritrea, nor has Afwerdeki's regime commented on the signing of the peace treaty. Eritrea's silence on the deal is concerning, because it is unlikely that Afwerki, who seemingly views the TPLF as an arch-enemy that must be wiped out, may not be satisfied with a simple cessation of hostilities. In the meantime, TPLF spokesperson Getachu Reda has declared Tigrayan forces will not lay down their weapons until the Ethiopian government confirms the complete withdrawal of Eritrean soldiers, as well as fighters from other neighbouring regions fighting on the side of the Ethiopian government, from Tigray entirely. This suggests that any attempt on behalf of Eritrea to pursue further conflict, or to undermine in any way what remains of the TPLF, will likely be seen as a declaration of further war, and only lead to more bloodshed. To avoid this, regional powers in the African Union, or perhaps even those in the Northern Hemisphere, must be willing to implement harsher sanctions on Afwerki's regime. Or, perhaps it would be more effective to crack down on the clandestine smuggling and money laundering operations the Eritrean government has used so far to successfully evade the toll of existing sanctions. Without these steps, it's highly possible the combative Eritrean leader could simply seize his opportunity to strike the TPLF at its weakest and condemn Tigray to yet more misery. There you have it folks, that was the World Beyond the West explainer on the Ethiopia-Tigray crisis. I'm eager to make sure these explainers become as informative and engaging as they possibly can be, so if you have any feedback for me, please don't hesitate to get in touch. For those listening on Spotify, Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, the best way to do that is to head to my Substack page at wbtw.substack.com. Again, that's wbtw.substack.com. There you will also find the written version of all World Beyond the West content for your viewing pleasure. Alternatively, you can send an email directly to wbtw at substack.com, and either way, your comments will land in my inbox, and I'll be able to do something about them. That's all for today. Thank you very much for tuning in, and I'll be back with yet more foreign affairs goodness in short order. Bye, everybody.